0: Stories Big guess. The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 12:30 to 3
1: 770. CHQR: So here we were 24 hours ago, sitting around waiting for that speech from the throne to get underway. When it finally did, it ended up being a long speech, and seemed very ambitious in scope, although much of what was in that throne speech has been promised by the liberals in the past. Uh, Things like National Pharmacare, National Child Care. Uh, The government did make a commitment to extend the emergency wage subsidy into next year. In fact, all the way to next summer, which is uh, at least something new and something significant. Uh, But mind you, why did we need to prorogue Parliament? Why was there a need for this speech from the throne? Extending the emergency wage subsidy could be done. In fact, it had already been done. But nonetheless, that was the speech from the throne. We were then told the prime minister had something important to say to the nation uh, at 6.30 Ottawa time, 4.30 here in Alberta. So out of curiosity, i probably, like a lot of you, tuned into that. Well, What is he going to say now? What, what is it that he has to announce? And it turned out to be nothing. Nothing at all. A reiteration of the challenges we faced from COVID-19 and recapping what was laid out in the speech from the throne. That was it. It's pretty rare for a prime minister uh, to ask for that kind of, of broadcast platform. And they certainly sold the networks, including this one, uh, on the idea that this was not going to be political, that in fact he had something important to say, which turned out not to be the case. So what do we make of all of this? Right. What was the point of that national address? What was the point of prorogation? I think our next guest is wondering the same thing. Matt Gurney, columnist editor with the National Post. Has a great piece today in The Post, nationalpost.com. Matt, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program.
0: Nice to be here, and I would like your audience to know I have deliberately not oversold what I'm going to say over the next few oh, minutes. Well,
1: that's been enough of that. It. There certainly has. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I shouldn't have been surprised. I kind of thought that maybe they had something up their sleeve, that he was going to throw some kind of curveball, he had something to announce, and he didn't. What, what did you make of it? Well, let me be
0: brutally... Brutally honest with you here and with your listeners. Um, the prime minister's speech was six thirty in the evening Eastern time. The deadline for my column was seven thirty Eastern time. So I had an hour after he was scheduled to start talking to write my whole column. So let me tell you a little thing columnists do sometimes in that situation: we cheat. We write some paragraphs in advance uh, that covers off a possible couple of options. So. I had a couple of paragraphs written up assuming there was really big news about, like, new national lockdown measures. I had a couple of paragraphs written up assuming it was something political about an agreement with the NDP. And I had two paragraphs written up that was kind of just to give me something to work with in case the speech ended up being a total nothing burger and that there was absolutely nothing there. And then when I'm racing my deadline, I could take what I'd written in advance, i plug it in, and i build the rest of the column around it. Obviously, you you change what you've pre-written, right? Like, you, you plug in the necessary details, but it gives you a bit of a head start when you're racing a deadline. I was able to take the two paragraphs I had written, assuming, like, nothing happened, and run them almost verbatim. I barely had to change anything. So I had written that two hours before he spoke, and I was speculating, well, okay, that ended up being a whole lot of nothing. I wonder why he did that. And I could run that verbatim because it was a complete disappointment. So you said that you weren't particularly surprised. I'd written it in advance.
1: Well, and so what then do we make of it? What is the end game here? I mean, you know, the the cynics say that the prorogation was all about scuttling the committees and their investigation of the WE Charity scandal, and maybe they're on to something. Otherwise, I'm struggling to make sense of what the point of the speech was, what the point of prorogation was. What are they up to here? I think
0: those are two separate questions, and let's actually take them in that order. What was prorogation about? I think it's obvious now that it was about getting out of the WE mess any maybe at the time to give them maximum credit maybe at the time they were thinking that the pandemic was behind us things were going to settle down in the united states the world as a whole would kind of get a bit more back to normal and they could roll out their transformative agenda and maybe sometime over the last five weeks they looked around at the pandemic at the u.s at the situation all over the world at china and said you know what Things aren't going the way we want, so we'd better come back. And what are we going to do as the throne speech? Well, we'll roll out some warmed-over version of the one we used last time, because that's all this is. It was all the same usual liberal talking points. What were they doing with the prime minister's speech last night, though, I think is a different topic. One of the things that comes up to me is the fact and i don't even mean to suggest this is a matter of personal vanity i suggest this is a matter of politics that the prime minister does not want the premiers in the four most affected provinces including yours in alberta and your own provincial public health officials to be leading the response on this he doesn't want right now the federal government's response at least for the new cycle of this week to be the embattled governor general who's being investigated for having a toxic workplace environment so the prime minister found a way uh, to go out there give a speech and make sure that it's his face that is leading the coverage not the governor general's. i know that is really really cynical but there is absolutely nothing the prime minister said yesterday that could not have been announced at any time by him simply going, hey, I'm giving a press conference outside Rideau Cottage in an hour, and I hope you guys can tune in, calling for the national address, leaving us in expectation for a day, to then give us what we got, which was a whole lot of nothing that couldn't have been put into a press release, there's one word for that, grandstanding.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I think that, that's that's a good word for it. In terms of, of what we got in the throne speech, and certainly as I, I think you alluded to, there there have been you know, rumblings in recent weeks that the liberals are really planning on, on getting ambitious, that they were going to roll up maybe something akin to a more permanent version of Serb, a, a universal basic income, uh, that there was this whole big transformative agenda. We didn't get that yesterday. I mean, there's, there's stuff in that throne speech that would certainly come with a big price tag if indeed they were to follow through on all of it, but a lot of it, is, as you mentioned, has been talked about before. So do you think that that, that talk of a, a different kind of agenda was just that, or have they backed off maybe on what they were thinking of doing? What's your sense?
0: I think you know I think. there's a mixture of both in that. I do think it's in the liberal's strategic interest to always be playing the – trust us guys. We're we're progressive in our truest hearts, but we're the responsible party of fiscal management, right? So the more they're seen to have big dreams, but modest efforts, it actually in a weird way suits how they like to, to, to be seen by the public, right? We'd do more if we could, but this is the best we can do right now. I think there's definite deliberate political uh, message control in that, and I think the Liberals were definitely doing some of that. But again, I honestly think that uh, the Prime Minister and and some of his advisors around him uh, in August were thinking, you know what, the pandemic's behind us. Things have settled down. The numbers look good. We're moving into a period of recovery as opposed to crisis. And not only is that good potentially for the country, it was certainly good for the prime minister, who was getting his uh, his butt kicked in the polls because of the Wee scandal. So it was a real kind of confluence of, of agendas here. And, but like I said, and uh, you might have noticed my colleague Kelly McParland has a column just popping up on the National Post website in the, in the last little while basically saying, in the year 2020, you can't count on the traditional multi-month news cycle to roll out your strategic plans. Whatever the liberals were thinking was going to be a winning strategic plan on August 15th had kind of completely fallen apart by September 15th. So they had to kind of reach for whatever was plan B, and Plan B kind of ended up being the same stale liberal campus club talking points we've all heard for the last 30 years. I mean, national child care. They've been talking about national child care for so long, if they had implemented it in their first opportunity to do so, I would have been young enough to go into it. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, And just a point on on the pandemic response. And, and, you know, the prime minister, and he spent the first part of his address talking about all of these things like washing our hands and wearing a mask and and et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting that that he wants to put himself kind of at the forefront of this, knowing full well that, that it's the provinces that are in the driver's seat. The throne speech talked about additional support for testing, which I know your premier has been really banging the drum about this week. And there is frustration under the parts of the country that Ottawa has been slow and in approving new forms of testing. And maybe there's a need for more support. He kind of opens himself up for that criticism, doesn't he, by acknowledging that Ottawa has a role to play and talking about a testing response team in the throne speech, maybe leaving people wondering, well, you know, we've got six or seven months uh, already of this. And, and where is that now?
0: Do you, mind, do you mind if I answer the question in a kind of a sideways way? Um, <laughs> so there was another story that came out this week, and it, it has nothing whatsoever to do with what you're talking about there. But give me a minute, and you'll see why this makes sense. Ottawa has announced yet again it is trying to replace the 9mm pistols used by the Canadian Armed Forces. Our current inventory of sidearms literally dates back to the Second World War. And this is like our second second or third attempt to actually do this. This has been an urgently identified need for, like, 20 years. And it's not going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost, like, 25 million bucks. And this is a procurement that we have started and stopped and restarted. And we keep pushing the timeline down the road. I mean, by the time our World War II pistols are replaced, we're going to be in the middle of World War V at at the rate things are going. And I bring this up because what we are seeing is a government that can't replace pistols for the army thinking that it knows best how to insert itself into provincial jurisdiction and transform entire multi-billion dollar sectors a national child care plan for the guys who've been talking about it since i was a child a reconciliation agenda for, from the guy who thanked Indigenous protesters for their donation, a attempt to completely revamp, uh, you know, fiscal federalism in this country, from the guy who promised to run temporary limited deficit and ended up missing his target by fifty billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how the federal government finds ways to continually screw up what is unambiguously within its own mandate. And thinks in order to distract from that, it ought to go involve itself in provincial mandates. I, you know what? I don't get it, but it's fun to watch.
1: I suppose so. Uh, much more is mentioned, NationalPost.com. Matt, appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us here.
0: Anytime. Take care. Take care.
1: Matt Gurney, columnist, editor of the National Post, NationalPost.com. You can find his piece today on Trudeau's Bizarre Address last night. And yeah, much more uh, on the throne speech and, and where this all goes from here. And we'll certainly continue that conversation here today in terms of where this all goes from here. What do we make of the last 24 hours? Does it give us any kind of clear sense as as to what's going on in Ottawa or what the government's agenda actually is going forward here? I'm really not sure what to make of it. Uh, Certainly Alberta's premier not impressed by what he heard and what he didn't hear yesterday, both in the throne speech and from the prime minister. We'll play a little bit more uh, from Jason Kenney's press conference earlier today. And what's got him so annoyed about uh, what he heard and didn't hear? Uh, certainly, want to get your reaction as well. Four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. Much more to get to as well on this Thursday afternoon. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at twelve thirty on News Talk seven seventy Calgary.